If you want to open up to Psalm 4, you see there just under the title Psalm 4 that there's what they call a superscription. It says, for the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. And throughout the psalm, you'll see those words scattered a couple of times, selah. And what this tells us is that this psalm is intended to be used with musical accompaniment in a service of public worship. It's for the people as they gather. And yet this song is a personal song a song of personal pain. And as David sings this song, he doesn't sing of triumph. And it reminds us as we gather here this morning, what is important as we gather. We gather here this morning not to market our faith. Despite the decline or what seems to us the decline in the Western world of Faith in the Lord Jesus, uh, the latest census data would ind- indicate that in Australia. We're not here this morning to market our faith to the world, for it to be smooth and alluring, polished and packaged, where the followers of this faith are young, where the language is refined and attractive. Now here in Psalm 4, we see something quite raw. We see a raw, authentic faith where the followers aren't pretty. In fact, often those who follow the Lord Jesus are just needy. But we see an authentic faith, an authentic faith that is more mysterious, where the cost is staggering and the answers often raise bigger questions. The language here in Psalm 4 is one of a deep agony of the soul and this is David's personal prayer but his personal prayer his own personal trouble is meant for the gathered people for those who gather to worship God see this morning we we don't gather to worship because our lives are perfect that they're together that everything is right as it should be we gather here this morning because we have a God who loves us we have a God who forgives us and we have a God who has called us no matter where we're at to worship him and David is called to worship him and he's called to worship his God in a time of trouble and the actual situation that David is in in Psalm 4 isn't exactly clear This psalm, Psalm 4, is often taken as a pair with the psalm that we saw last week. It's it's kind of like bookends, if you like. Psalm 3 has been called the morning prayer, because in verse 5 it says, I lie down and sleep, I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. And you might remember from our reading in Psalm 4, it's uh, sometimes known as the evening prayer. There in verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace. And so... What many people think is the situation that's described in Psalm 3 continues also in Psalm 4. Last week in Psalm 3, we saw that David's son Absalom is in revolt against his father. Absalom was his young, good-looking leader, and to be honest, he thought he could do a better job than his dad. 
And so he decided to gather those who were on his team around him and set out against his father. And so as Absalom gathers his crew to hunt his own father, David runs and he's running for his life. David is in trouble. It's heartbreaking that his own son would pursue him. And it's gut-wrenching. And perhaps some of us can relate to that, to have times in our lives where we feel like our heart is broken and our gut is wrenched, a family crisis, a wayward child, a medical condition. It could come suddenly, it could come gradually, but we all, at various times, go through times of trouble. And there in verse 1, we get, get this great insight into the emotional life of David where he describes how he feels. He's distressed there in verse 1. And, and the language that David uses when he uses that word distress literally means that he's been caught in a tight situation. He's in a tight corner. He's in a spot where he needs space. He feels like the walls are closing in. He's out of time. He's pinned in. He's in trouble. There's no room to breathe. Closed in, hemmed in, cornered and oppressed. And so what is he to do? What are we to do when we feel like that? Well, there are two things that we're to do. And there's two things that we see in this psalm. They're pretty simple. It's not complex. But it's not easy. We're to call and we're to trust. So firstly, we're to call. David calls out. He calls out to God there in verse 1. Oh God, God of my righteousness. Here is why David calls on God. He calls on God because God has given him his righteousness. And whatever righteousness David might have, it's because God has given it to him. God is both the giver and the source of his righteousness. He knows however his life is going to turn out and however this situation turns out, God will do what is right. And so he comes to God not on the basis of who he is. He doesn't come to God on the basis of all the things that he has done as king. He doesn't come to God on the basis of the kind of person that he is. No, as he looks back in his life, he can see that God is faithful. Uh, the tense of the, is kind of lost in the NIV. In the ESV, it translates... Uh, it, verse 1 there, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Although the walls might have closed in on, him, in on him in the past, he knows that they haven't fallen on him. And it's a wonderful reminder for us this morning. Can you look back on your life? Can, can you remember those times where you have felt hemmed in, you have felt like it's a time of trouble where you've felt overwhelmed and yet 
God has sustained you. He's been with you. Well, David remembers that God has been with him every moment of his life. And that means that if he's been in every moment of his life in the past, he will be in this moment now and in the future. Time after time after time. And friends, that is the wonderful truth that we have this morning. I know many people think in our country it's crazy. It doesn't make sense to believe in a God that you can't see, a God for whom his world does not seem right. And yet, friends, this morning we have wonderful assurance that our God is with us and that he is watching us and that he will look after us time and time and time again. He will do it again. He has done it in the past. And he will do it again. He has never failed. And if you look at your life, I think, I hope that you are able to say that he has never failed you. And if he hasn't failed you in the past, he never will. It's not as if, though David has never failed God. David we read in his life that he was a man that had failed. And David doesn't come to God and call to him because he has kept his side of the bargain. And I think probably if it is the situation with Absalom uh, here in verse 4, and I think it probably is, uh, that situation... It, we read in 2 Samuel, it's clear that much of that situation is on David and his failure to confront his son early on. And so David cries out to God. He calls out to God because God is gracious. You see there in verse 1, it's the graciousness of God that David relies on. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, you can call on God. You can call on God at any time. You can call on God even if you've got yourself into a mess. And indeed, if we see ourselves rightly, we all know that we have got ourselves into a mess that we as Christian people are lost without his grace. And this is the wonderful thing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what that means? It means that God meets us where we are now, not where we would like to be, or perhaps where we think other people are. Be gracious to me. And hear my prayer. He approaches God. He calls out to God because he knows that God is righteous. That he's, God, he's a God who gives righteousness and he's a God who is gracious. But in David's situation, there in verse 2, his honour has been turned to shame. 
It seems as though there was a time where he used to walk amongst men with a light step, where they loved him, where they honoured him, where they thought he was a great leader, where he was the king, the one who took Goliath down. That reputation stayed with him. But that reputation has now been lost. It's in tatters. He knows the murmurings of those around him. As he approaches the conversation, it stops. His honour and dignity is gone. He feels so alone. And yet, he's able to see. He's able to see through the antagonism of his enemies there in verse 2. Often when we lie down, when you lie down after a hard day, we, we close our eyes and, you know, there in the darkness, those what might be little things to us during the day, those things become big at night, don't they? As you there on your bed, you're tossing and turning. These things that trouble us, situations that we're in, they, they become giants in our mind. Alone, in the darkness. And what, and what are we to do? Well, we're to call on God. But we're also to trust him. We're also to trust him. No matter what others are doing, no matter what others are saying, we're to trust in God. And it seems as though those around David there in verse 2 are urging him. Derek Kidner in his commentary says that at least two kinds of people addressed here. He says that there's a fickle kind of person. Uh, we see that there in verse 2. Those who will grab hold of anything that seems to work in this kind of situation, even vain words, lies, or verse, the end of verse 2 could be translated as idols. There are those kinds of people who in trouble will trust in every new trick, every trend, whatever's popular, whatever kind of makes sense to our world. There are those who will have that voice and, those, and that voice will will kind of get into our head. But in contrast to the fickle, David has God as his rock. You see there in verse 3, he says that despite what people say, despite the lies that they speak and despite the lies that sometimes get into our heads, verse 3, David says this, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. God knows his own. And you'll notice the language there is that of being set apart. The language of being set apart in the Bible is like, uh, who gets the Aldi catalogue? You know, if you go to Audi and they offer you a catalogue, who, who takes it? Put, put your hand up if you take it. Well, that's disappointing. Only about half of us. Well, I'm certain to take it. And because, um, you know, when I get home, I like to have a little peruse through and, and, and often it's the next week or two that they have a sale on. I don't know if you've ever seen something in the catalogue and you think, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. It looks like good quality. 
Um, it's like half the price. I, um, I saw a swag uh, a couple of years ago. I wanted a swag and I, and I saw it in the Audi catalogue. And, um, you know, seeing something in the Audi catalogue, you, you wait. You wait for the sale day. You know, and it's like you're queuing up. And there you get into the store and you see that item that you've been waiting for but you're crestfallen because it's got a sticker on it and it says reserved, which means it's not yours, which means get your hands off. This item belongs to somebody else. And friends, that's, that's the believer. We are on God's reserve list. These are mine, God says. These are mine and don't you dare mess with God's anointed. God knows his own. The Lord has set apart his faithful servant. In the gospel of the Lord Jesus, God has chosen us. And he's chosen us and he's set us apart. He set us apart because we are his. We are on his reserve list. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 says this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. C.H. Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, says, Since God chose to love us, he cannot choose but to hear us. What voices are you listening to? What voices are you letting get inside your head? Are they the voices of lies? The lies of our world? The fickle voices? Or is it God's voice? The Lord knows who are his. We see as this psalm continues that this situation that David is in is one of pressure and when the pressure rises, so do the emotions. And when things don't go our way, often we become angry. Why? Well, often because we think we deserve better. That's why we get angry often, isn't it? Verse 4, David says, Tremble or be angry and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. David urges those to be careful in their anger, to be careful that it doesn't lead them to sin. Sin and anger are often connected. They're not always connected. We see lots of examples where God is angry, and so to be angry is not always to be sinful. But for a human person, we must be very aware that when anger is present, we must be very careful to look for the sin in our own heart, the sin of rebellion against God, about the kind of rebellion that is dissatisfied with what he gives us, and also the sin of hatred and jealousy against others. Tremble and do not sin. It's remarkable in this psalm that it 
David is giving us a permission here to, to feel, to feel the impact of a situation. We are not stoic Christians. We are Christians with emotions who fear, who feel and feel the impact of our life. And to be faithful to him is not to suppress our emotions. To be faithful is to bring our emotions to God and to be careful in doing so that we do not sin. And so David is offering an alternative. He's saying here, I think there in verse 4, when we are to lie in our beds, when it is all quiet, when our mind is consumed by whatever is troubling us, that we are not to plot against our neighbour. We are not to devise our next step. We are, to, we are given a choice. We are given a choice. We can be consumed by the situation. Or we can call to God and we can trust him. Whether we understand it or not, David encourages those to bring their sacrifices to God. I think it's an encouragement there to continue worshipping even when it's hard, even when we don't understand Derek Kidner offers um, a second type of group. He says there's the fickle, but there's also the pessimistic. There's those who are half-empty kind of people there in verse 6. He says, many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? These are the people who have moved from hope to fear and from a place of despair they're getting inside David's head. And who's going to look after us, they're saying. But David, David will trust in God, despite what they say, not, no matter what others say, no matter what others do. When he feels the pressure of this situation, he, know he, need, he knows that he needs God in that moment. And this is a great opportunity for us, that when we're overwhelmed and sometimes overcome, there are times when we really realise that we need God. David says, let the light of your face shine on us. David knows that God is the God of light, Although all he can see is darkness, he knows that he needs the light of God. Even when he sees darkness, he needs God's light. And David, David is going to trust God in this situation. And so can we. We can trust him. We can trust him when we don't understand where it looks bleak and dark. And what does trust do? Well, that's how he finishes this psalm. We see that in verses 7 and 8. When we call to God and when we trust in him, verse 7, David says, Fill my heart with joy when their grain and their wine and their new wine abound. Joy is what, God, is what David receives. And in verse 7, what David 
what God, sorry, gives David, it's better than money in the bank and wine in the bottle. It's the joy that David knows that even if there is to be much grain or little grain, much to drink or little to drink, God is with him. And often, friends, I think we find it hard to find our joy in God because we're under the assumption that when we trust in Jesus, that everything in our lives is supposed to be better now. But we know that's not the case. And we need to find a joy in him, to find a joy that's being filled from him, to find a joy in our hearts despite our circumstances. Because when we do, that's when we find the peace that he's speaking of there in verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let me close in this way. We live in a world where grain and new wine is always available. And we can't imagine the just delirious joy of a starving person there to find food at last. But this is what David has experienced. David has a joy that's even greater than that, not because of the food, but because he believes that as he cries out to God, as he cries out to God in the middle of his distress, God is a God who hears his prayers. And so he can lie down with confidence. He can come to God in confidence. And he can come to God knowing that God is a God who gives him joy and peace. Peace that allows him to sleep. Peace that he knows a safety in. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We live in a world that's obsessed with safety and security. And so it's important for us, as people who trust in the God of King David, as people who trust in the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can give him our hearts and know that he can make us lie down in safety. Because no amount of human effort, no amount of human means can ultimately give us the safety that God provides us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I want to finish with these words from a book I read this week. And it's a great reminder that we are his. The author says, You are his. You have been united to his son, and the suffering of this present age can only heighten your future glory and joy. Tonight, may you go to bed in peace. You could not be more secure. Amen. Please stand as we sing.